So again, I ask the question, why are we in chaos? The dominion, the prophet Daniel said, the dominion shall be given to the saints of the Most High. Who are the saints of the Most High? We are. So when the church walks around with a mind that, that, that is not toward the Word of the Lord, that's, that could be affecting the whole earth. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus said to Peter, you say, you, you know, substantiate that, Brother Wayne. That's a, that's a mouthful. Jesus said to Peter, what you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you shall loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven or vice versa. In any way, there was authority that the Lord was placing into the church. And somewhere down the road, the, the mind of authority has been taken away from the church, has, has, has made the church believe it's this little bitty thing or, or it's a Sunday morning teaching that that's what church is. It's to the reality of the presence of the living God. You, you know, in Ephesians 1, We'll get my lesson in a moment, but in Ephesians 1, it says, Paul, Paul writes to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, For this cause I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which is among you, and the love which you show toward all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory <coughs> of His inheritance in the saints, and what the exceeding greatness of His power toward us for who believe, according to the working of the strength of His might, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule. Far above what? All rule. How, mu how much rule did he put him above? All rule. How much authority? And authority. How much power? All power. How much dominion? All dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. How much did he put under his feet? All things. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that filleth all in and all. There's the definition of the church. His body... The fullness of Him, not just His body, but the fullness of Him, that fills all th things, fills all in all. So when I think of church, that's what I should think of. Is that what we think of? The church which is His body, the fullness of Him, now, now, how do you explain local churches or local gatherings? It's the local expression of Him. 
That's what a local church is, is a local expression of Him. That's what it should be. Because He defined the church as His body, His fullness. Not a little bit of Jesus. But of His fullness have we received, and grace for grace, another place, of His fullness. So to your mind shifts to receive that, your perception is going to remain where it's at. Andrew, I have some Tic Tacs in that bag. If you, if you will, throw me some, or a pack of them. But it's a, it's a shifting of the mind. I've got a little sinus problem. Our minds, how many know we live according to what we think? How many know that? In the Lord. You, you, you know what, what measure of Christ you understand is what measure of Christ you walk in. It's the same thing in the natural. What measure you understand, you walk in. If you don't have the understanding of a doctor, you can't walk in the knowledge of a doctor. I'll just take a natural principle. You, you would be in a bad situation if they sent me to do brain surgery for you. You'd be in a lot of trouble because the only thing I would know is I've got to take off the top of your head and get in there, and I don't even know the proper way to do that. So, so if, I, if I'm going to start that process, I have to walk in an understanding of a doctor. If I have no understanding of a doctor, then it's going to be a very poor place that I walk in. So if I have no understanding of the church, of the Lord's body, then I'm probably not walking in a real great understanding of the Lord. I don't want to say you're not walking in a real great place because you're walking in the Lord. But your understanding can grow. Your reality can grow. Your reality of God can grow. If you don't think it can, then I'll, I'll be honest with you, it won't. God won't hit you over the head with an apple. He might. But, but there, there's... There's got to be a something in you that desires of the Lord. First Corinthians two, and then we're going to turn to Revelation chapter one and get back in our lesson. But First Corinthians two, and verse twelve. But we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God. Back up to verse 10, because I want to read this to you. But unto us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And what did He reveal by the Spirit? This is a common, verse 9 is a common verse in a lot of gatherings, where they'll say, as is written, or it was common to me when I was young, I haven't saw, ear, haven't heard, never entered into the heart of man, whatsoever things God had prepared for them that love it. That was a common scripture that it hadn't appeared to man the things that God had prepared for him. But then verse 10, when I was young, I'd never, I'd hardly, I don't even know if I knew verse 10 was there, Kathy. 
Verse 10 says, But unto us God revealed them by the Spirit. So what was prepared for us has been revealed according to the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For who among men knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? So the Spirit of man knows only the things of man. Even so, the things of God none knoweth, save the Spirit of God. But we have received, and this is, this is the powerful part, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know what? the things that were freely given to us of God, which things also we speak. So Paul's saying that's what he's speaking. He's speaking what God is revealing to him. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Spirit teaches, combining spiritual things with spiritual words. Now the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, and he cannot know them, because they are spiritually judged. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, and he himself is judged of no man. For who have known the mind of the Lord? I really want you to listen to this verse. Who have known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What do you have? The mind of Christ. Why are you given the mind of Christ? That you might know the things of God. See, with your own mind, you couldn't know. <coughs> the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Another place, Paul said, the natural man, or the carnal man, is enmity with God. That carnality, he calls carnality death. To be carnally minded is death. So to walk in the realm of death is to walk in the realm of the natural mind. That's saying something to you. So if I walk in my natural mind, if I walk in my own understanding, I'm walking in a realm of death. It's when I begin to walk in His understanding that I come to life. It's a change of the mind. See, your Bible deals so much with the mind. It's, it's, it's amazing. But a lot of times we don't talk about it. You know, one, one, I think it's in the New Testament, the definition for the, the, or the soul, the Greek word for the soul, I believe it's the Greek word, the Greek or Hebrew, but I believe it's the Greek, is suke, psyche. What, what do you deal with in the natural, with the, with the mind? Psychology. So God himself is dealing with their mind. Now, if we don't let God deal with our minds, then some of these things will be hard to understand. But He's given you the mind of Christ that you might know the things of God. 
He's giving it to you. So when you get up and thank the Lord for another day, you start praying, I thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for all the blessings you gave me. One of the greatest blessings you should be thanking Him for is I have the mind of Christ that you can instruct me. I have the mind of Christ that you can teach me. I have the mind of Christ that I can know the wisdom of God. Because you gave it to me. You talk about blessing. We, we, we say we get blessed if we got a new car. Apostle Paul says you have the mind of Christ. A new car, I don't care if it's a Lamborghini, doesn't compare with the wisdom, the knowledge, and understanding that's in the mind of Christ. But, but very rarely do you hear someone thank the Lord for the mind of Christ. Because their mind has been programmed to the natural. Because that's where they're programmed. When in fact, you're in the supernatural. You're beyond the natural, folks. Apostle Paul writes to the Romans that you are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. So here's another blessing of the Lord. Lord, I'm no longer in the flesh. I'm in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of Christ dwells in me. So when I come to the Lord and I begin to thank the Lord, I line myself up with what He's done. I line myself up with His work. I line myself up with His Word. I come to Him believing that He's going to teach me all things, even the deep things of God. I come to Him believing that He wants to. So when I sit before Him, I believe I'm going to receive from Him. Because I believe His Word. And His Word's working in me. And if you come there and you believe it, it's going to work. Guarantee you. I guarantee you that if you'll take your time and you'll sit before the Lord and you'll listen for the Lord, He'll begin to speak to you. If you'll sit. And you'll listen. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get to Revelation 1. I'll get there in a moment. I, in a, as a young man, I was eager to hear the voice of God. And I would pray and fast and pray and fast, God, where do you want me to go preach? That was a lot of my praying and fasting. That's what a lot of it was about. Where do you want me to be? And I would kind of cry all night, so to speak. And I'd say, well, I think the Lord wants me to do this. I think the Lord wants me to do that. This went on for years. Till 
I began to hear his voice. And when I began to hear his voice, he began to speak to me his word. Now he's telling you, God hasn't sent me places, sure he has. But what he was more interested in showing me was his words than what I was in what I wanted to tell him. See, see, here was the problem I had. I was telling God what to show me. I was I was misinterpreting who was God. If I could be some old. I was coming to God and saying, God, you show me this. Somewhere a shift went on in me, and I don't even know if I knew when it happened, but where I began to listen to for God to tell, speak to me how He wanted to. And He wants to declare His Word. He tells you that in the book of John, and that, that when the Holy Spirit shall come, Jesus, Jesus is the Word. How many believe Jesus is the Word? When the Holy Spirit shall come, He shall take of mine the Word. If He's the Word, He's going to take of the Word and show you the Word. So now I, I see that the Holy Spirit wants to show me the Word. That's what he wants to show me. Now do I want to receive the Word? Is that what my heart's after? Am I after God's Word? Is He the desire of me? Because if He is, He's going to give you the desire of your heart. So if the desire of your heart is His Word... He will give it to you. But the shift has to take place in us of, God, what do you want to say? You know, you know, it took God time to create the world and time to create humanity and put humanity in the earth. So, so God most likely has something to say to humanity. And humanity, and, and this is the word I want to say, and forgive me when I say this, Humanity sometimes needs to shut up and listen. Be quiet. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I don't mean that offensive. I, I, I like to say things like that kidding around, but going into Revelation chapter 1, and, and for whatever reason, what I just said to you was necessary. Not the last little joking part. That was me. But the other part, Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show unto his servants even the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear witness of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, even of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things that are written therein, for the time is... At hand. This was the Apostle John writing. So when the Apostle John wrote this, he told them the time is at hand. Put your hand out. So John said in his day, the time 
is ahead. All right. John to the seven churches. And so John's right to seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. And from the seven spirits that are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, and to him that loved us and loosed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom to be priests unto his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he come up with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they that pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn over him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, saith the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, what I want to say to you, we're going to do a little review and then we're going, Lord willing, we're going to move on from the review, probably not in this one, but we're going to move on from the review. I want to get your attention upon a couple things John writes here. When he's speaking of Jesus, he speaks of him from him who is. I want this is part to jump out at you. He is. He was and is to come. And the same thing said down here in verse 8. I'm Alpha and Omega, saith the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, typically when I read this, or when we read this, we get lost in He is to come. We gloss over many times. He is. Huh? Yeah, He is. And we start looking for He is to come. But there was... John, if you read the rest of this chapter, he begins to be dealt with with Him that is. Okay? And, and you all should be dealt with. In fact, if you read the Apostle Paul's writings, with, the, with the, well, all the apostles are the, the writers of the New Testament, all of them I, I don't guess were apostles, but the writers of the New Testament, one brother said that it, it is 200, I think 39, either 237 or 239 times in your New Testament that it declares you are in Christ, in the Beloved, He's in you. You're in Him. So, so there's a major, major emphasis of the New Testament Scriptures of Him that is. But inside of a lot of ministry, and I don't, I don't mean to sound critical, a lot of teaching teaches us about Him that is to come. And what gets lost is the reality of Him that is. Right now. So John was dealing with the people with Him that is right now in John's day. And he made, made mention that Him that is is coming. Well, if He is, why does He still need to come? It's a good question to ask, right? question we should ask and a question we should answer. 
Because He is and is to come. What does John mean? Well, I can share with you what I believe He means, what I believe the Lord has shown me. One, one thing that, that is really impressed on my heart, and again I have to go to John's day, that in John's day, the coming judgment upon Israel was preeminent. And many of God's people don't understand that. What does that mean, Brother Wayne? We spent three weeks talking about it. If you read your New Testament scripture, your Gospels, who's ever read the four Gospels of, of the New Testament? Okay. When Jesus came, born of the woman, did the New Testament start then? Brother Bob said no. Did it start when Jesus came born of the woman? Yeah. What was he under then? So he was still under the law. So what, what we don't do, or what I didn't do for years, as I didn't see they flowed together, that Malachi to Matthew was flowing together. I would take it, and I would read Matthew, and I would forget everything that was said back from Genesis to Malachi. And I would read Matthew just like this is a whole different Bible than Genesis to Malachi, or a whole different book. So my views would come out of just reading Matthew. So when I read, he come up with clouds. If I don't read Genesis to Malachi and read the cloud comings in the Old Testament, I probably don't know what John's talking about, to be honest with you. I probably am going to make up my own understanding and I'm going to say clouds of glory are rain clouds. And, and, that's, and that's where I walk. That, that when I heard Jesus is coming in the clouds of glory, I was looking for Him to come out of rain clouds, to come up on rain clouds. The problem with that, and I don't want to, I don't want to say, I probably said it wrong, I already said it, is you have a whole Bible and there are clouds of glory identified in your Bible. You know that. The Old Testament is full of the clouds of glory. Absolutely full of them. So what we do is we disconnect what Jesus says or what John writes from the Old Testament. We totally disconnect it and forget it. And teach it like it's not even there most of the time. But the clouds of glory, if you go back and you listen to last week's recording, the clouds of glory, God filled the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament 
in a glory cloud. So a, a thought for you to think on, to chew on, chew on this thought. When Jesus said, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming in the glory of His Father. If, I, if I'm going to see what the glory of His Father is, I most likely will have to go to the Old Testament and read about it. Yeah? That's what I'll most likely have to do. And the glory of the Father came in the Old Testament. The glory of God, the glory of Jehovah came and filled the temple. That was the glory of God. Any way, I, any way I slice it, if I go read my Bible, I will find out that that's the glory of God and it came in the Old Testament. So, so I could take what Jesus said and I could say He's speaking of coming and filling the temple. And that even, that even brings a... You know, it's Matthew 26. So flip over to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 or 16. I think I want 26. May want 16, but we'll see. Jesus is before Caiaphas. Who knows who Caiaphas is? He's the high priest. What's the significance of the high priest in, in Jerusalem? He's the priest over the temple of God. So Jesus is coming before the priest over the temple of God. And... He says to the priest, verse 64, Jesus said unto him, read it out of the King James, verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. All right you'll see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest, notice what the high priest did. He rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. How is this blasphemous? If I take this from my own understanding, if my own understanding, if I read this scripture and I said, well, Jesus said he's coming in the clouds of glory or clouds of heaven, sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven, and I, and I refer that to rain clouds, how's that blasphemous? Probably not. The high priest of Israel the cloud of glory to the high priest of Israel was not a rain cloud. The cloud of heaven to the high priest of Israel was not a rain cloud. That's the problem. The high priest of Israel, the cloud of glory, was the presence of God filling the temple. And you say, well, brother, wait, where's that at? It's all throughout your Bible. It's throughout your Bible. The, the gap is, read your Bible. So when, when the high priest went his clothes, the, the, the view I believe the Lord did show me is that 
He was mad because Jesus was saying, I'm Jehovah God Almighty. You're going to see me come in the clouds of heaven. You're going to see me in the right hand of power. I'm Him. So the high priest rid his garden and said he's full of blasphemy because he's declared himself to be the living God. Now that's what I see here. Uh, now, if I don't read the rest of the Bible, can I come up with that? No, I can't. Because I'm going to come up with it according to my own natural thought. But when I read the rest of the Bible and the Spirit of God teach me, I can see that God came to Israel when He led them out of Egypt in a pillar of a cloud. And He led them out of Egypt by a cloud by day and a fire by night. Now I can, I can peel this onion back even further because that's what it's like. It's like peeling an onion. So I, so I start at the top layer and the top layer I see that. The glory of God that was in that cloud if you go into Exodus, uh, I, I, I think it's around 24, somewhere between 19 and 24, uh, it's dealing with the cloud and fire coming up on Mount Sinai, and they look at the glory of God. There are those that, that there look at the glory of God, and, and I believe it says they did eat and drink and didn't die, something to that effect. Ezekiel and Daniel give you a description of the glory of God. Do you know that? In your Bible. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel 1. Verse 4. And the word of the Lord had just come to Ezekiel and it says, And I looked, Ezekiel looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud. So he looks, and here comes a cloud out of the north, and a fire enfolded itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the mist thereof was the color of amber out of the mist of the fire. And he sees in the mist of the fire four living creatures. I'm not going to get into all the four living creatures right now, but he sees four living creatures. Just say one thing about them. They had the likeness of a man. It'll tell you that if you read down through here. Their likeness was as a man. One man. Alright. So, so Ezekiel is looking at a cloud, and this cloud is bright, and in it's the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. So in this cloud is a fire. Alright. Come on down here. Verse 25. In verse 25 it says, And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above it. 
And as I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins, what was his appearance? Have you ever seen a man that looks like fire? Brother Ezekiel did. He saw a man who from his loins down and his loins up was the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of a bow that is in a cloud of the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, or the glory of Jehovah. So here's the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Jehovah. All right, Daniel 10. Daniel 10. I'm looking for, I believe, Daniel 10. Just give me, yeah, verse 5. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body was like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. This is Daniel 10. Now flip over to Revelation 1. Back to Revelation 1. Verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Does this resemble at all what Daniel saw? Absolutely. Does it resemble at all what Ezekiel saw? Now listen to this real close. Jesus said, we just read it, Matthew 26, hereafter, the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father. Now, I think I'm crossing 26 and 16, but anyway, they go, they're similar. Shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels. That's 16, but 26, He's coming in the right hand of power in the glory of the Father in 26, the right hand of power. But 16, the glory of His Father. According to Ezekiel and Daniel, the glory of God looked like a Man on fire. 
What does John tell you is in the midst of the church? Right now. Told you, when we started this today, we should get concerned with Him that is. Because John is seeing Him that is with hair white as wool, with eyes as a flame of fire, with, with girt about the pats, the pat the chest with a golden girdle, clothed with a rub down to the foot, garment down to the foot, feet as burning brass. And where does John see him at? In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So Jesus coming in the glory of the Father is coming in the church as the divine presence of God. That's how you have the wisdom of God in you. Do you think we could understand God without Him dwelling in us? There's absolutely no way. That's why you now have the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ is in you. He's in the church walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And these seven churches represent the whole church. I mean, they were seven little churches in that day. But the representation of this is to the whole church. So, somehow I have to see Him that is. Somewhere I have to get a hold of that part of the Scripture. He, he that is and was and is to come. And we're going to deal with the, the is to come. I promise you. Lord willing. Lord willing. I'll say it that way. We're going to deal with the is to come. I'll give you a hint. In John's day, John was looking for he is to come to take vengeance upon Jerusalem in John's day. I don't know if you know that. But they were waiting for old Jerusalem to be overthrown in John's day. They were waiting for that in Paul's day. They were waiting for that in Peter's day. Why were they waiting for that? Because the Scripture said so. What Scripture? Genesis to Malachi. Because God had declared through the Scripture that that was coming. It's in your body. So they were looking for the completion of what God had declared to happen. What we do with the Scriptures is we don't connect the Old Testament Scripture together with, with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read them like they're separate. And they go right together. So when I look at the book of Revelation, I look at it as, as all these future things that are coming. And, and, I, and, I, and I think Revelation has a lot to do with him that is. Because, because the part of this that's going to affect you the most is He that is. 
Because these feet of burning brass is going to affect your life. If I understand the feet of brass, it's going to affect me. If I understand it, it's going to have an effect on my life. It's going to have an effect on how I live, how I walk, how I carry out my, my being upon the earth. It's going to affect me. What do you mean, Brother Wayne? Because that feet of brass is speaking of, of, of what brass speaks of in the Scripture of God's judgment. And that judgment is in you. What, what do you mean that judgment's in me? When He died, all were made to be dead. Know you not, as many of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ, have been baptized into His death. That judgment will come to your home, to your personal, this home. Not, not the house down the street, not the house over here, but this one, the one you're habitated in, this, this body of, of uh, clay, that judgment will come in and say, when you die, you die. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but not I. Christ lives in me. That will begin to sound in your very being when you come to these feet of brass because that's the judgment of the Lord. We don't live to ourselves. We live to Him. That's what the Apostle Paul writes. He writes in his Scripture that, that you, you're not to live unto yourself, but you're to live unto Him. Well, well to most Christians, I, I say that, but that's foreign to us. Because our idea of church, again, coming back to the beginning of this, our idea of church is, is a one-time event during the week instead of the church which is His body where the man with feet of brass is walking in the midst of the church. So if the man with the feet of brass gets real inside of me, I come to that judgment. Now how do I dig all this out? Pick up my Bible. Sit down with the Lord. Say, here, Lord, what does this mean? Let Him take me through the Word. And I've said this several times. Where's brass at in your Bible? It's all the way through the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle of Moses is filled with brass. You know that? Should. Kathy, you have no excuse. Your dad's probably read from there uh, 150 times or 550 times. You have no excuse. Kidding with Kathy. But brass is all the way through the tabernacle of Moses, all the way through the temple of Solomon. What's the altar made of? Brass. Why, why couldn't it be made of Something else. Give me something else. Uh, well, copper and brass are about the same thing. I think. So something else. Give me something there. Huh? Tin. Why, why, why did it have to be brass? 
See, because God had told them in other places spoke of brass that He'll make their heavens as brass. It wouldn't give rain. It, it's speaking of a judgment. That's why it had to be brass because it's speaking of a judgment. So the judgment you come to is the judgment of not that animal that laid there in in that temple and tabernacle, but you come to the judgment of the Lamb of God. That's what you come to. That animal, that judgment in the temple and tabernacle was a was speaking of Christ. How do I know that? Because my Bible tells me so. What does John what does John say, John the Baptist, when Jesus is coming down to the water? Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. You notice he doesn't say sins. He says sin of the world. So he takes it away. So, so all the lambs, we're speaking of one lamb. So all the lambs they offered, all those hundreds of years was speaking of one man. And then the one lamb comes and there's no need for those lambs to be offered anymore because what they were speaking of had come. This, this is what, what gets me with, with people that, that want to rebuild the temple in, in Jerusalem. I want to say, why? The Lamb of God came. The Lamb of God died. The Lamb of God was buried. The Lamb of God raised from the dead. What is God going to do again with the new building in Jerusalem? Just, just that understanding right there alone. Get inside of people. That gets inside of people more understanding is going to come. Because they're going to see Jesus' words in John 4. He said, we, we talked about this for several weeks. He said to the woman at the well, what did he say to her? Neither in Jerusalem nor in Samaria shall you worship the Father. So then if I understand that I don't get any closer to God, if I go to Jerusalem, I won't spend my $3,000 or whatever it is to get me there. Well, if you want to send me there, I'd go. So if anybody wants to send me there, I, I, have no, I have nothing against going to the natural city, Jerusalem. But I have an issue with going there to get closer to Jesus. Because you can't get closer to somebody that's in you. See, that, that, see, that's the understanding that has to come. He's in you, and you're in Him. So, so that's pretty close, right? At that day you'll know I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So, so if I get a hold of this piece of it, that He's the Lamb of God, all those lambs spoke of the Lamb. So when God laid down the brazen altar, that altar was speaking of the Lamb. When God designed the brazen labor, you know who designed the brazen labor? It wasn't Moses, it was God. He told Moses to build it according to the vision that he gave him in the mountain. So he, he designed that furniture around a vision. 
represent is God's work. His finished work. Glory to God. So when we enter in, you know, it just shows us in the Old Covenant. I, I, this is just... When they enter into the court, we've seen, what's the song, how's it go? Enter into His courts. How's it go, Faith? We'll praise Let this get in your mind. When they wrote that, what court were they entered into? The court of the tabernacle or the court of the temple. Okay? So what was the first thing they saw? Brazen up. So what was that praise for? They were bringing a sacrifice. And then, and then the second piece of furniture is that brazen labor. Both of them are brass. Because they're dealing with the judgment of that sacrifice that's been given. So when when the priest, the priest is who washed in that in that labor, and I love I love what I see here. Because the priest would be, if if you could if you can uh, imagine it, the priest would be covered in blood, would they not? What were they doing? They were slaying the animals. So they would go over to that labor and they would wash themselves and, and, and it was made out of looking glasses or mirrors of the, of the women's mirrors. So they're washing themselves that blood in that water and they're looking through the blood. And so their vision is through the blood. So the whole, the whole vision we should come into is based on him and his offering. Makes this Bible have a whole, whole bigger meaning. So, so then you have this piece of the Son of Man that's in the church that, that we, we can probably go for weeks on his feet. John fell at his feet as dead. Why? Because when he died, we were made dead. And John was raised up by the power of his right hand. Not by John's own hand, but the power of his right hand. The resurrection life of the Spirit. So John is, is, is there show, in the picture that happens to John is, is, is as we encounter Christ, and see, when you come into the second part of that temple, you come in the door, and what furniture's inside the second part? You come in the door, and I believe, I believe, and I have to go back, it's been a while since I read it, but I believe even the first uh, hangings of the curtains around that, that uh, first veil you go into, not, not the Holy of Holies, but in the first veil into the temple, is with brass sockets. And then you get into silver. So the silver sends them too. But the furniture there is made of gold. Okay? So when I get into the furniture there, I have the, what do I have there? I come there and I have a golden candlestick. What does John see in Revelation chapter 1? A golden candlestick, right? What do I have in the tabernacle? Of Moses, a golden candlestick. 
John sees seven of them in Revelation 1. So he's looking at something, he's looking at the fulfillment of, of that house, so to speak. So now he sees seven golden candlesticks. And what was flowing through the candlesticks? Oil. What does oil represent in your Bible? Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. I believe it's David, David or Solomon one wrote that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Alright? So if I don't have the Holy Spirit lighting my candle, I don't see. But when the Holy Spirit lights your candle inside of that temple, what do you see there? You see a table of showbread. Anybody ever read that? What's on that showbread? Two loaves of six, right? Why is it two? Why not just one loaf? Um, 12, 12 is dealing with divine government, so you have two loaves of six. But, but, the, but the one part of that, at least this is what I believe or I see here, is one, of, one loaf is dealing with the work he did. He's the bread of life. So, so that bread is dealing with the bread. Can we all agree with that much of it? It's dealing with the bread. Again, it's representing him. So the Holy Spirit shall take a mind and show it and show it unto you, right? So, so the light of the candle is now illuminating and I can see in the tabernacle and I see the bread. Now the second loaf of bread, I believe, is signifying you and I. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was raised, we were raised. When he was seated, we were seated. And it goes on and on. So, so what, what happened to him happens to us. And we see that. How do we see that? We see that by the Spirit of God. I could say that all day, but if the Spirit of God doesn't illuminate me, I don't see any of that, do I? No. But even when I've seen all of that, what's still there? There's still a third area. What's the third area called? The Holy of Holies. What's in there? Darkness. Presence of God. But darkness. You enter in there, you only enter in there one time a year. If you enter, if you were the high priest and you entered in there without blood, or you entered in there the wrong time of the year, you were going to die. You're entering into the presence of the Lord. The very presence of God was there. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'll leave you with this to think of. His face shineth as what? Does it say shineth as the sun? His face shineth as, as the sun. What illuminated the Holy of Holies? Presence of God. What what does John see? He sees the face of the Son of Man with eyes as a flame of fire. 
hair white as wool. And when you go on through the book of Revelation, eventually his countenance was as the sun. Have you ever seen anybody's face that shine like the sun? No, yours doesn't, sweetheart. <laughs> Moses had experienced something along those lines too. Don't you remember when Moses came down from the mount and his, and his face, what, glowed? Now this is what's in you. The description John sees, John says is in, in the church. Anyway, last thought for today before I quit. What if we changed our prayer life a little bit? Just a little. And we start praying, God, Father, instead of just approaching him as God, what, what if we approach him as Father? He's our Father, right? So we come to him as Father. Father, this picture of the Son of Man that's in the book of Revelation that you say is in the seven golden candlesticks. Is walking in the seven golden candlesticks. Make it real to me. Make his eyes as a flame of fire real to me. Make his hair white as wool real to me. Make his breastplate of gold real to me. Say breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of pure gold. Make that real to me. And see, I, I believe as we turn on down through here and we start looking at these seven churches, we're going to see that judgment of that Son of Man coming into those seven churches there. Because that's what John's telling you. He is in the seven churches. He's the glory of God in the church. Anyway. Well, Lord.